Hello, hello, and welcome to the third episode of this mini-series. I hope you've been enjoying listening to it as much as I've been enjoying making it. If you're a patron, you're listening to the full version of this episode in 2023, but if you're not, you're probably listening to it in 2024. Just saying, you could have been listening a lot sooner. So, yeah, I thought I'd drop a friendly reminder here that specialty miniseries like this one and my other one, Woking Up, take a lot of work, research, prep, scheduling, editing, production, and so on. And these series are only funded by listeners like you. So if you enjoy them and would like to help support, please consider becoming a patron. Premium patrons specifically get first access to this series. So if you can, subscribe to the premium tiers today and get a whole lot more, get it all faster, get exclusives. Anywho, today we'll be talking about Germany. But before we get to that, I thought I'd give a shout out to some of my international listeners. What better place than on this very global series, right? I often don't check the stats for this podcast, but I'm going to try and make more of an effort to do so because it's been very interesting, especially lately. For the first time in the times that I've checked, I've actually seen an audience from another country beat the U.S., Um, among listeners of this show. Like, I've never seen that before. So, for last month, November 2023, the stats were fascinating. In the number one spot, I had Serbia. Big shout out to listeners over there. Keep it up. We love our global listeners. It was definitely very, very cool to see. USA was number two for the first time that I've seen. Come on, guys. How do you, with such a massive population in comparison, get beaten? But, you know, it was only this one time. So let's see if you're back in the number one spot when I check December stats. Um, And in the third spot for last month, I had Egypt, which is also new. I don't think I've seen that before. It's always some variation of America, Canada, UK, you know, which is, of course, wonderful, too. Um, and not unexpected, given that this is a show in English. And we talk about North American politics mostly with the occasional UK topic and figure. But yeah, I love it. I love seeing the diversity in listeners. So hey, Egypt, hello, and thank you so much for listening. At fourth place, we had New Zealand, which I thought was pretty awesome too. Obviously related to the previous Global Far Right episode on New Zealand. You know, it really feels so validating when you're talking about a specific country and they're actually listening to your content. Very, very neat to see. Canada was all the way in seventh place last month. Come on. Wah, wah, wah. I love you guys anyway, Canadian listeners. You know that. But, um... I'm hoping to see Germany make it to the top 10 countries listening to this show after this Germany episode is publicly released. So yeah, fingers crossed. I will keep an eye out for that and uh, let you know next time. There's a lot more to talk about in regards to Germany in the current political climate, which is a broader topic than the far right. So I may be doing a second Germany-related episode in the new year. Let me know if there are any specific Germany-related topics you'd like to hear more about. And now, on to the episode. 
The conditions in the past few years have been a perfect storm for extremism, is a terrorist attack, hate, the transgender community, and conspiracy theories, pedophiles, the Satanists, to flourish around the world. Join me as I try to learn more one country at a time. In another Polite Conversations mini-series, this time exploring the global far right. Hello everyone and welcome to the third episode of my mini-series on the global far right. Today I'll be speaking with Miro Dietrich, who is a far right researcher from Germany, from the organization CMAS. And uh, yeah, how are you doing, Miro? How's it going? Thank you so much for being here. Hi, it's good to be here. Yeah, there's uh, lots to talk about today. Some interesting things happening in Germany recently that I've been seeing in the news as well. If you want to like plug anything, you can do that right at the beginning of the show, and then you can give me a little background on yourself. Yeah, I'm Mio Dietrich. I'm a researcher of the far right. Uh, I do this for eight years now, focusing on conspiracy narratives and uh, far right internet phenomena. And since 2019, I'm focused on uh, far right terrorism. You can find me on Twitter, but also on Blue Sky. And for much of the things I talk about, we have reports um, on our website, cmas.io. All right, excellent. How did you come into this line of work? I was always really interested in subcultures, um, and especially digital subcultures um, made it able for me to sort of track how new languages formed, how communities are organizing themselves. And I also have been an anti-fascist from the early, from very young, at anti-fascist um, demonstrations when I was 14. Oh, wow. So, so after uh, my study, I sort of realized that um, combining these things actually can be a job as an internship. And from this on, um, my life revolves around um, digital alternative realities of the far right. Oh, that's really, that's such an interesting backstory. I've always been very interested in subcultures, too, myself, growing up, like, uh, as a, I guess, a third culture kid, right, being of Pakistani background, growing up in Saudi Arabia, and not really feeling like I have roots anywhere until I moved to Canada, I guess, made me very, like, intrigued by subcultures, I guess, it's because of that finding of identity aspect of it. And, uh, yeah, so I dabbled in a few, n- no far right subcultures, <laughs> but like, you know, I was really into, uh, the industrial and goth scenes in Toronto and, um, I'm sure you can find far writers there, but, uh, yeah, so that's cool. That's something that we have in common is that interest in subcultures. Yeah. It's always, always interesting of me to see sort of how, um, these split communities develop and how their hierarchies form, how the language that only they understand form, how sort of these cultural values spread. Like when memes started, it was definitely something um, that I found highly interesting to sort of see the involvement of ideas on the internet. So um, when we spoke briefly uh, beforehand, you were telling me about your research into QAnon and the kind of role that that's played uh, in Germany. 
and how it had people like glued to the American far right and helped in like disseminating some of the American far right talking points. Yeah, in Germany we have the biggest non-English speaking QAnon movement in the world. Uh, we monitored over six uh, Telegram channels with over a hundred thousand subscribers. And colleagues of mine did a survey in Germany where we found out that asking for typical QAnon narratives, that around 12% of Germans strongly or moderately believe in, in these narratives. And wow. if you only look at the people who are unvaccinated, 46% believe these QAnon narratives. So it had a huge spread in Germany. And it wasn't really an issue before the pandemic. Mm. There were far-right people pushing it. But it didn't really take off um, until the pandemic, where loads of loads of people flocked to the internet and were looking for answers. And QAnon was one of the things that people um, tended to in Germany. It has a lot to do with, um, we already have a big sovereign citizen movement, the Reichsbürger. Mm. And sort of these two movements uh, have some narratives overlap and work quite well together in tackling um, a complicated world. Can you explain uh, for the audience what the sovereign citizen movement is about and what its German version looks like? Sovereign citizen is a collection of different beliefs, uh, but basically they don't think that the states are real. And they have a lot of different explanations for this. In Germany, they're called Reichsbürger, and they don't believe that Germany is a legitimate state. And they're sort of, they think that the laws are before the Third Reich or of the Third Reich are still the laws that are held today. They believe Germany is only a company. And one reason for them is they don't believe we have a peace treaty. They believe Germany is a company? Yeah, so the, the modern uh, Germany for them is only a company oh. because they believe that um, the laws of the Weimar Republic are still sort of the law. And they have a lot of um, very flimsy explanations for this. One is that they think we don't have a peace treaty, so the war is still ongoing. Um, but sort of we had the two plus four contract is a peace treaty. It's just, it doesn't say peace treaty on the top of it. So right. So that's um, why people believe that um, the German state is not legitimate. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, that sounds a lot like the American versions that I've been familiar with. Did they also do things like not uh, get driver's licenses and things? or? Yeah, and not pay taxes and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So how did this all come about Like during the pandemic? How? How was the time when there was lockdowns? And I know that in Canada we had those trucker convoys that inspired a bunch of right-wingers around the world. And um, the comparisons to Jews and concentration camps were particularly horrendous. And I, I don't know, did that happen in Germany? Yeah, something similar. And sort of our explanation is that in times of conflict, People um, want easy to understand solutions and um, they would uh, want to make things less complicated. And one of this is having a easy black and white worldview. And the other thing is that people feel out of control. Yeah. And QAnon gave them something to be in control. 
suddenly you're a digital warrior, you're fighting to free uh, children that are being sex slaves. And sort of this was quite attractive for a lot of people. And also, of course, the narratives uh, fit very well with satanic panic memes. Mm -hmm. The year of the underground um, networks where um, ritual sexual abuse was happening. We had the satanic panic in Germany as well. So, um, like in the eighties or yeah, eighties, nineties. So yeah. they can uh, connect to that very well. And uh, I mean, we're seeing a revival of it here in North America currently with both QAnon and also the anti-trans movement, which people are trying to well, just like the anti-LGBTQ stuff, they're trying to tie in right by calling people groomers and horrendous slurs like that. You know, Is yeah, that- definitely. Is that happening there too? Yeah, we have the same panic here as well. The hate against trans people um, with the rise of um, the hate in the US, it also became a major topic in Germany as well. It's amazing how these things um, carry across and how the right is basically like always on the same page around the world. And that's initially why I wanted to do this series, because I thought if we could have it all in a series of episodes just to compare and see like how many similarities there are. It's actually really frightening. And QAnon definitely was a big accelerator in the globalization of the far right. And in Germany, the QAnon people immediately translated everything that was happening in the US QAnon scene, like on the same day. And a lot of the talking points, a lot of the content that was shared in the QAnon spaces in the US was influenced by neo-Nazi far right content. And in Germany, a lot of far-right people were hanging out in QAnon spaces. So via QAnon, and the narratives of the U.S. got imported very quickly to Germany. Mm-hmm. And wasn't QAnon like initially very like U.S. specific, right? Yeah, it sort of doesn't make a lot of sense. Being thinking Q, uh, Trump is the great uh, savior. Yeah, it's sort of when you go back to sovereign citizenship. And they believe we don't have a peace treaty, so America is still occupying Germany. So Trump would be the head of that. Oh, wow. That's sort of one idea. And the other thing that makes QAnon so special uh, when we talk about conspiracy narratives is that for the first time, you're not just a random sitting on the Internet and reading all this bad stuff. And for the first time, someone is in on a good conspiracy so the, uh, when QAnon exploded, the most powerful man in the world, Trump, sort of was part of fighting back against that. So suddenly it wasn't just you writing things on the internet. There was like a, 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 an authority fighting on your side. Uh-huh. I think that made it really um, convincing for Germans, although uh, it was so US-centric. So do you see like um, American flags and MAGA hats and things in Germany as well amongst those groups? During the height of the pandemic, definitely um, we had uh, some MAGA merch at the far-right rallies here. Oh, wow. And also the narratives got translated and didn't make any sense to um, stolen election narrative. We always had talks about our election not being right, not right. But it never picked up. But um, during the last big election, we had a lot of stolen election narratives. It doesn't make sense at all in Germany, especially because people talked about um, voting machines being rigged. 
And in Germany, we don't have voting machines. It's counted by hand. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, I, I shouldn't laugh, but, like, it's so wild that they're even importing narratives that don't fit at all. Yeah. And you mentioned when we spoke before that about six months before the attack on the Capitol in the U.S. on January 6th, you had your own storming of the parliament in Germany, kind of? Yeah, six, six months earlier, a group of um, conspiracy-driven QAnon far-right people uh, congregated uh, in front of uh, our parliament for another demonstration, and then they um, tried to storm the building. No one was killed. They only reached the top of the steps. Um, of course, in the U.S., everything has to be bigger, so yeah. the storming of the U.S. Capitol was worse. But sort of here you see how QAnon influenced the whole thing. It was uh, during the height of the election campaign of Donald Trump. But the moment that led to the storming was the QAnon believers uh, going on on stage of the demonstration there and proclaiming that Donald Trump just landed in Berlin. And now we have to now they have to show him the support. What? So that was like that was related to Trumpism, too. Yeah, that sort of was, and uh, now he's, uh, Trump landed, landed in Germany, he's here to free us, so we have to storm the capital. And he had not landed in Germany. Of course, it was during the height of his election campaign, so uh, I think he had better to, the things to do. <laughs> and what happens when they're confronted with these, like, obvious facts that, look, he, he did not land in Berlin, so what happens after that? The obvious thing that often happens during these uh, people who are responsible are being um, declared as state actors, um, so they are not them. Um, and in on the next day, it doesn't really matter what happened. So actually. they just like change the narrative or just forget about it. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, yeah. I mean, you see that on the right a lot too. Like, there's no desire for consistency. There's no desire to not be a hypocrite. There's no, it's just whatever. Anything goes, it seems. Yeah. Uh, uh, reality uh, has not the biggest influence on the beliefs of these people. <laughs> and um, you're having the wokeness and cancel culture discourse. And uh, what about, like, you know, the college campus hysteria? All the things uh, you know from the U.S. we have as well. It's often with a time delay, um, and you've, if you already followed sort of the discourse in the U.S., it's even more uh, tiring to see the same things discussed here. Yeah, same sorts of debates. Yeah, it's about wokeness that no one can define. So it's about free speech that no one can define what it means, um, and it's usually just the free speech to say uh, vicious things, to insult people, to use slurs. Yeah, yeah. Um, and when it comes to freedom of speech they don't like, they don't really talk about it. And of and course, campus immediately censor anything they don't like. Like just look at uh, Elon Musk. Yeah. Right, he's now going after people talking about decolonization on Twitter. Yeah, they they don't care about freedom of speech. Yeah, yeah, that's another you know blatant contradiction that they don't seem to care about at all. No, and um, you had talked about the fact that there was some 
Christchurch shooter influences and idealizing of him. Yeah. When we look at terrorism in Germany, uh, the biggest turn was um, between 2000 and 2007, uh, terrorist group, the National Socialist Underground, murdered nine migrants and a police officer and robbed 15 banks. <gasps> and during that time, the murders were not connected to the far right. Contrary, and the press and police were investigating migrants. Uh-huh. In the press, they were called kebab murders. Oh, really? Only when two of the three people burned their camper and the third person burned their home and sent out confession letters, it was uncovered that it was these murders that the police thought maybe the Turkish mafia was responsible for it. It was actually done by a foreign terrorist. Wow. And they just were like openly calling it like kebab murders, like in the press, in the mainstream press? Yes. It was quite a racist discourse. Um, Neighbors, family members were investigated for being responsible. Um, But when we had uh, the trial and uh, civil investigations around the case, we found out that actually the domestic intelligence service was quite involved in supporting uh, these attacks in ways because they um, paid a lot of informants of the far right and these people used this money for foreign activities, but didn't inform our uh, domestic intelligence service about what was happening. Oh. Uh, so um, that's quite a complicated role. That, so what uh, are they getting paid for then? Yeah, that was the big question. They, they used the money to um, have far-right publications um, and do far-right activities. So our domestic intelligence service financed the far-right scene for years. Wow. And there was a terrorist group um, that murdered people for years. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't hear about it. This was sort of the big turn in Germany. Uh, we've seen that um, far-right terrorist groups can be quite active and that our security agencies are not up for the task. But the case you were talking about earlier, the Christchurch connection was uh, in 2019, After the Christchurch shooting, a wave of terrorism um, happened around the world. So we had a copycat in El Paso and in Poway, and also one tried to do an attack in Oslo. But we also had an attack in in Halle in Germany. A militant accelerationist, a fan of the Christchurch shooter, uh, he also live-streamed his attack on a synagogue. He wasn't able to get in, so he shot two random bystanders. But he was one of the people um, the Telegram network would call saints. Call a saint? That's sort of in the Telegram uh, community. Uh, so the part of Telegram that's focused on foreign terrorism, um, they call uh, successful um, shooters saints. And they paint mur- murals and they sort of glorify them. Please subscribe to the premium tier or above over at patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes to access full episodes of this mini-series. And do get in touch if you think you or someone you know would be a good guest for this series. Nicemangoes.blog at gmail.com. No E in mangoes. There are still a lot of countries I'm looking to cover. 